0: Hello, my name is Spencer Stewart. Welcome to another episode of Advancing Talent. I'm super excited to introduce and have a discussion with this week's guest. Joining me today is Laura Butler, the Chief People Officer for t T-Tech, a global customer experience technology and services company that has over 60,000 employees located across 25 countries. Laura has built an impressive career leading people, technology, and culture. Welcome to the
1: show, Laura. Thank you. Really excited to be here. I have been
0: looking forward to our conversation all week. You have such an expansive career when it comes to leading people, technology, and culture. Those are three interesting domains that I think are converging uh, increasingly today in our world of work. But before we jump into that, can you give our viewers just a brief overview of T-TECH? And when we say a customer experience company, what does that mean?
1: Great question. Well, you know, T-TECH, our value proposition really is to help our clients deliver exceptional customer experiences that drive growth. So as you think about, uh, any organization, and if you're interacting with somebody digitally, uh, through chat, email, or telephonically, uh, through voice uh, applications, anyone that you're interacting with in some way is providing an experience to a customer. So we use, I mean, think about you and I, when we're calling to get support on something or interacting on chat on a website to ask for uh, advice on a variety of things that is going to be interacting with a customer experience associate on the other side. And, you know, we do this, we service this really, not just by having, we have about uh, over 65,000 people in 22 countries, uh, but we also are combining people with our deep understanding of our customer needs and our expertise in experience design technology and operations so much like you're talking about the people function we're very uh we're very in tune with the people and the technology that help drive business results for our clients and we do this in kind of a boutique way very customer centric and understanding our customer needs to deliver those great results
0: that that is super helpful in fact, I think I need to congratulate you on a pretty significant contract that was won by t Tech maybe a month or, or, or so ago. I was in D.C. last week, and I was actually walking right by the uh, Government Services Administration Building. And if memory serves, t Tech just won a pretty big contract to help federal agencies improve their overall customer experience. Is that right?
1: Absolutely. Great example, and I'm glad you saw that.
0: So it it's certainly for profit and government and large organizations. Everyone can benefit with an improved customer experience um, uh, approach. Now, Laura, let me let me ask this question. Uh, we and we had a few minutes before the show to. Talk a little bit. Uh, you've been at some remarkable companies, some remarkable brands. Um, I think my first question for you is: You're now um, helping to lead, you know, people, technology culture at a, a at a, a multinational organization. I think you're on just about every continent uh, on planet Earth. Um, <laughs> How, how did you find yourself at t-tech how did you find yourself wanting to really uh spend a career a great career you know at the nexus of people technology and culture can you speak to your journey a little bit
1: uh absolutely you know it's it's interesting because looking back everything can make sense looking forward it, it was a little less clear uh you know starting off in in college, I majored in economics, political science, and communication. And uniquely, I didn't recognize that lays a terrific foundation for a career in HR. I thought for sure I was never going to be in HR because I found technology to be fascinating, but I also loved experience design. And so I was in event planning for a number of years and Monster, this web portal with all of these jobs came out and I was then able to look at all these jobs and I thought, what jobs are kind of creating energy? When I read them, I'm like, oh, I would love to do that. I was less concerned about the economics and more concerned about what would really light my fire and my passion. And I loved experience design in event planning. It taught me a lot about that. However, I really loved tech. And so that took me into HR software. It took me into both a tech and a people path. And along the way, what HR was at the beginning and what HR is now is so different. And as you mentioned, it's that intersection of people, technology, and culture. And, you know, I I love that quote, culture eats strategy for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And- What a great honor, especially with the times that we've had working through economic challenges, pandemic challenges, that, again, looking back, well, of course, I mean, when you're doing event planning, vendors don't show up, things don't go as you plan, and you don't have a second chance to make that right. You have to do it in the moment and figure out plan B, C, or D immediately and HR has parallels to that. But then on top of that, we have to create systems through technology so that we are creating consistent and incredible experiences for employees, especially at T-Tech, because happy employees lead to happy customers. And so it's a, that connection is absolutely important to our business strategy. Yeah,
0: I, I'm so glad you brought that up. I was going to ask you about it. So not only do you work for a well-known company uh, whose value proposition is we help others improve their customer experience, it's almost like this double whammy or additional pressure in that if that is the value proposition of T-Tech, boy, then there's probably a lot of onus on you when getting in getting your internal uh you know, employee experience, right? Um, and so, I I, I think I, there's there's a question in here somewhere. Uh, and what I'm hearing you say is, you know, today's HR division is not your parents' HR division. Things have changed dramatically. And as I was doing some research, you oversee all aspects of human resources. And so that's talent acquisition, that's learning and development, that's compensation and benefits, performance management, employee relations. So I have to ask you, of all of these different facets of, of HR, what do you think has changed the most? Is there a particular facet or area that that is really changing right now?
1: I would say that you know, it started to pivot from, uh, say, a necessary evil. We have to pay people. We have to do these things, you know, as an organization. And over time, the mindset is, it is all about the people. It is all about the people. And then what does that mindset mean? And that's that employee-centered design of the experience. And then that experience driving innovation, business pace, and overall success. And so over time, HR, it's not the components of HR that have changed as much as the mindset has changed. And that's driving the components to change. It's driving, even when you look at something like compensation and, you know, there are tools and systems now that are designed to explain your total rewards package in a visually appealing way and connect that with your financial planning and really looking at the human experience of working. We spend so much time in our lives working. And how do you make that experience of getting paid, getting trained, getting onboarded, even applying for a job, how do you make that experience simple, motivating, fulfilling? And you know, more and more, we're even seeing the connection to mental health. And overall well being. And that's a huge shift from back when HR was personnel and, you know, there was the employee relations department and it was a very compliance driven function. And while that will always be the case, there will be a compliance component. It's this human experience piece that's really been amplified.
0: I, I love that. I love that. Um, it certainly doesn't feel today with how maybe media has painted HR. I'm just thinking of, you know, Toby from The Office or, you know, some of these other,
1: (laughs) you know, right? Yes.
0: It's very, very, uh, very different. Um, And one of the things I heard you say is that while things may change, while the experience or how we perceive that experience may change, there are some fundamentals that never <laughs> change. And maybe it's yeah. these fundamentals that we need to lean into even more. Same. As I was doing some research, I came across something that I think you alluded to, and that is this really interesting uh, Venn diagram between coaching, sponsors, and mentors. And I think this was framed uh, in the lens of For people to thrive and to flourish and to fulfill kind of the full measure of what they're expected to do, you have to have these three key fundamentals, coaching, someone who can serve as a mentor, someone who can serve as a sponsor. Can you unpack that a little bit with how kind of you define each of those elements?
1: I look at that. Coaching mentors and sponsors, that is an area, candidly, that I didn't value at the level that I should have earlier in my career. And I sort of put that under an umbrella of having your personal board of directors. And there are people who, in that personal board of directors, you look at a coach, and that may be, that may include your boss, but it may also include those former colleagues, friends, other people who are willing to give you the tough truths and have you have you asking and soliciting their advice on issues and providing feedback. The best coaches are the ones that are watching you on the field and the ones that surround you. And so it can even be if I'm giving a presentation, for example, I might ask someone in the audience uh, before we even before I go on stage just casually mingling and ask, After this, I'd love for you to tell me something I did well and something that I should improve because I'm trying to get better at presenting. And that is a method of asking for very informal coaching uh, and inviting people. And when you receive that coaching, because that's the other piece is being coachable, that you are actually listening and taking that on board. Uh, And so I look at coaches as people that see you on the field and you can create those coaches and sometimes they just show up and give you the advice and tell you what they're observing and then I look at the mentors are those people who are most often not necessarily in your closest ring um, at work but in your in your personal life former professional life and those mentors are people who can advise you in a variety of dimensions. You might have a mentor that's a financial mentor uh, that you seek when you're like, hey, I'm looking at this financial situation economically with a job offer or other types of things, and you have a mentor for that. Another mentor might be someone who is a uh, office politics mentor. How do I navigate this situation? And you call on that mentor for that, Others might be career advancement mentors. I'm trying to get to the next level. And then last, the sponsors. I look at a sponsor as someone who is willing to invest their personal capital to invite you into opportunities that you might not otherwise have. And they're willing to put a little skin in the game reputationally or in terms of their own brand capital to really sponsor you and help you take stretch assignments or roles or jobs, leverage their networks so that you can get, you know, the, the thing that you're looking for. So those are the way I look at coaching mentors and sponsors. Again, under that umbrella of just being really clear on who your personal board of directors is. Yeah, I
0: I love this framework, this personal board of directors, and then how you articulated the differences in each three of those areas. So as you think about your own personal board of directors, is there anyone that comes to mind, Laura, either in that sponsor role or that mentor role or that coaching role that has really helped you in your career? Does any name come to mind?
1: You know, I'm fortunate. There's so many that come to mind right now. I feel very lucky. One that I'll highlight was a former leader of mine who was such a good coach. I still have kept the performance reviews that they wrote me, uh, detailed, long performance reviews, and I take that out on a regular basis uh, because the coaching was so well thought out and so helpful and constructive. Uh, Such a good coach. Then, they also, when I took on a role in another company, they became an incredible mentor, someone that I would ask advice, how might you handle this situation? Here's what I'm encountering at work, because they had done the job that I was doing before, so they could provide advice that was very relevant and mentor me. And then last, they became a sponsor when I had a a new job opportunity, and they actually were... Uh, leaned in in a proactive way to help ensure that that opportunity uh, came to fruition. And so I feel very lucky that there is one one individual who really does fit all three of those buckets for me. But in other cases, I definitely have people that are coaches, have been coaches, people in the mentor category as well as the sponsor that that one person did all three. Very unique.
0: Well, now I know what I think the gold standard is for <laughs> an an excellent coach or an excellent mentor, and that is the desire to hold on to old performance reviews because they are that good. I, I would think very few people have had that kind of experience. Perhaps the majority of us think of performance reviews as this, you know, a punitive. Uh, experience or one that we dread, but for you and this individual, you know, where it's incredibly rewarding uh, to the point where those have become meaningful artifacts for you that you've taken into your career. I mean, that, that to me is (laughs) really, really the gold standard. That's, that's incredible. That's incredible. Let me shift gears a little bit. Um, going back to, uh, this statement you made earlier that, you know, the role of human resources is, is changing perhaps fundamentally moving away from that, you know, knee-jerk notion of, of compliance, one towards kind of in, in lockstep unison and support and a driver of the organization's mission. Uh, Laura, you've had the great fortune of, of working for, some incredible companies some incredible brands I suspect that would be true of of uh, executive teams uh, as well uh, in that you have interfaced with uh, CEOs at, at multiple uh, organizations can you speak to I'm thinking about our listeners some of them newly minted graduates in uh, HR or in other disciplines but can you speak to maybe your secret recipe of how to work with uh, uh, your CEO or members of your executive team? Uh, what what have you learned in your career that may be some some hard won uh, nuggets of wisdom for our listeners?
1: I think that for me, you know, there's this notion of having an enterprise mindset and really stepping back and looking at the bigger picture and the bigger context. So sometimes when you're asked to do a job, you know, early on my career, um, you know, when I was in the marketing department, uh, I, I was asked to do a task. And just doing that task, and get it done and go home, wasn't actually super fulfilling. And it didn't allow me to have, you know, any conversations with anyone besides my boss. I stepped back and i looked at the broader context of what was happening so just to be specific this was in a, a timeshare uh, company and vacation ownership and so i was processing people going on little mini vacations to these timeshare properties did fine was doing great i stepped back and really started looking at the math of it the cost of these vacations cancellations And I noticed we were getting these cancellations coming in uh, and they were then ineligible for another timeshare tour. And so I developed a proactive confirmation uh, process. Seems very simple. And then doing that actually opened the door for me to not only talk to my boss's boss's boss, but I actually won a national award Uh, for that. And the reason that that happened, all that I did differently was I stepped back and looked at the bigger context and added value in the exact role I was in. I never had to get a new job or a new this or a new that. In that role, I was able to contribute something that got me into a conversation uh, with other leaders in the organization. And, And that knowledge especially when you're seeking a career in HR that knowing the business context and the levers that run a business and connecting what you're doing to those levers as effectively as you can so it's not just about doing a performance program to get reviews done and did we get everyone is it 98 percent compliance that sort of thing it's Are people connecting to the purpose of the business? Do they understand the levers of the business? Are they improving individually along the road of their own development to contribute the best that they have to offer? And so every aspect of task that you do in my career, I have always looked at that meeting planning, planning a lot of meetings. I thought software was kind of cool in my seat without changing jobs or doing anything else. I went to the library and got a VHS of this how to write in Microsoft uh, Access Database. I wrote a database, started managing the programs using technology, and that has paid dividends, again, in opportunities and doors that have opened, conversations I'm able to have that are outside of just, of course, people would call me for the thing that I did but it also asked, invited me to the table to talk about the things that were bigger than that because my brand wasn't just about the job. My brand was about the thinking I was bringing to the job.
0: You know, I love this perspective. It's something that we've heard time and time again from our guests. It's learning the business and learning to empathetically put yourself in the shoes of your co-workers, those that are adjacent to you. And that really is what brings like this cross-functional value uh, and perspective. I, I absolutely love that. One question, in fact, it was, it's high on my list. Um, I think I just read that um, uh, T-Tech opened uh, a new hub in Brazil and Sao Paulo. I think I also read that there's uh, a new hub in India. You know, you have employees on just about every continent in you know more than uh, two dozen countries how do you manage going back to those three domains right with people technology and culture how do you manage culture when it is so disparately spread across the globe i'd love to understand how you do this
1: well, I feel it's such a great question because there is a T-Tech culture and being clear about that through our values helps create a language that connects everyone across the globe. And then our operating principles, how we get things done is also incredibly helpful to create a culture of, uh, uh you know, that we are very much, uh, execution and innovation focused. And so how does that show up? But we also allow the cultures in those countries to have some autonomy through the celebrations that they're doing, uh, the type of volunteer and community activities. And so it isn't about us coming in and saying, oh, this is the T-Tech way and, you know, very U.S. centric, but actually creating a much more regionalized approach that celebrates the diversity of our global footprint. And it is absolutely so joyful for me when I talk to and see team members in these other countries that really have blended T-TECH and the individual culture so successfully. And that's really where magic happens because people are proud to be part of T-TECH. They're proud of our values. They are attracted to a company that lives our values every day. And they're also learning new skills through the T-Tech way, but also feeling personally fulfilled and connected to their own communities and culture. And I think that it's those three things that really allow us to create this culture, like I said, of innovation and execution to service our customers the best way possible. And so they can have groundbreaking results. Those are the types of things that allow us to do that so well. I mean, it really does start with individuals loving what they do and having that happen at scale.
0: I would think, Laura, that creating a culture is not an easy thing. It's hard. There's a lot of work that goes into it. And I suspect that in your career you've been at organizations where uh, perhaps a new culture needed to be created or uh, a merger took place and so it's figuring out how to uh, blend uh, cultures from from two disparate now-joined organizations or maybe an organization is looking for a a culture uh, refresh. Can you share with our listeners maybe some lessons that you've learned in being a, a culture creator, you know, an architect, a, a, um, um, a, a, I don't know if gatekeeper is the right word. Um, but what are some lessons that you've learned in getting to the right organizational culture?
1: It's such a great question because sometimes people just say, well, culture just is period or shadow of the leader. It's kind of shaped by the leaders and whoever you hire and leaders, you know, that becomes the culture and it's kind of an accidental side effect of the way work gets done. But when you're proactive about it and create culture on purpose, that is really where the magic happens. And one of my favorite frameworks is uh, contained in the book, Change the Culture, Change the Game. It's the authors of the Oz Principle. And there is this notion of this results pyramid. And the results pyramid has a foundation. the, The top of the pyramid you see are the results. The results that you're getting, that's what you see. Those are based on the actions that have led to those results, which, again, all things you see. But below what you do not see, are the experiences and the beliefs that have driven those actions and results. So any company's results are perfectly engineered to get those results. So if, for example, you have a merger or acquisition and your results are that you're fragmented and siloed and, you know, whatever that might look like, if you went down and said, well, what are the experiences people have and what are the beliefs they have? Having been in three acquisitions myself, I would say sometimes the experiences are, I feel like a second class citizen or I, um, you know, the company that acquired just doesn't understand. And that creates this belief system that causes actions. I'm just going to continue to do this my own way and, and so on and so forth. So then creating a new pyramid to say, okay, The results we want are, you know, that this is to strengthen our story, to serve our customers better. How do you design experiences that lead to those beliefs? How do you design experiences that lead to those actions? And that book creates an incredible blueprint. It's easy, it's accessible, it's scalable. I've done that on a small scale. I was in an HR team And we in HR were feeling very siloed and it was this team and that team and no one understanding what each other did. I used that framework to transition to a cohesive, unified team that delivered an incredibly integrated talent platform that anyone could talk to one team member and it felt like they were talking to a team, not a department in HR. It was a tremendous transformation and the engagement scores on the team one-up, as well as the retention scores. So using that framework, I have seen it play out time and time again on small things and big things to transform a culture.
0: I I love these examples and I love this framework, experiences, beliefs, actions, and results. And and one of the things that um, I think has helped us, and and others, is when you can isolate those four levels, it helps you understand, or at least it helps me understand, when I see someone's actions, maybe to double-click on why they're acting the way they are, because that's based on their beliefs, and those beliefs are based on their experiences, and so it allows this really open conversation of, Hey, help me understand what is, what, what, what is prompting your, your actions, your behavior. And, and when you can do that, you really can begin to understand how their beliefs are predicated on their own personal lived experience. Um, and, and that has been really the crux of getting to, you know, the root cause, at least in my experience, of okay, how do we now fundamentally build the right culture on top of that so i it's so it's so
1: so true i mean even when you look at something simple i was in a culture that that was the result was uh everyone was looking for permission to act and they wanted a result of autonomy and the experiences that people were having where they had to get approval to buy a ten dollar coffee card and they had to get so much micro level approval for tiny things, then of course, the result was people were like, um, you know, kind of a mother may I culture, rather than a culture of feeling empowered and a culture of feeling like accountability. Of course, because their experiences, there wasn't an experience that pointed to their ability to be empowered. So how are you creating these experiences that lead To the type of result you're looking for, couldn't be a more powerful connection in my view. Let me shift
0: gears and get your perspective. I recently attended, it was last week, a a learning and development conference. And one of the sessions focused on return on investment when it comes to LD programs and training. And with your background particularly now at t-tech where i would think the customer experience is so data-driven where we can begin to really quantify what engagement looks like i was thinking laura that you might have the inside track on how to successfully you know quantify um you know, L&D initiatives or offerings that companies are engaged in. Do you have any thinking around this, any thoughts on how to how to better quantify, you know, L&D initiatives that take place at, at organizations?
1: It's such a good question. And I think that one of the things that does make it challenging on an ROI basis on L&D is that Sometimes learning isn't a genie blank. It takes time to really learn and master a skill. And in today's fast-paced business world, we don't always have that time. And so I do like the industry that I'm in for exactly what you're mentioning is that data-driven approach. And so we look at what are the results that our clients are trying to achieve. And then if you walk back what those results are, then what type of person is going to be needed to produce those results? What skills will they need? What attributes will they need in order to be successful? And then the market may not have people with those skills. They may not have people that have that level of uh, competency in certain areas, and they might. So that blend is to say, if the market isn't going to to fill these skills, how do we train for these skills so that then when they're delivering uh, for our clients, they're able to deliver those results? So we're really working in the gap, looking at the gap and on purpose delivering. In the past, and this is where I think learning is going through an absolute renaissance right now thankfully, to a lot of technology advances and moving from these classroom types of learning into more customized learning journeys. And along the way, having nudges that are AI driven, uh, helping to guide people, not, I hope you learned everything for the one time that you encounter that in five months from now, but rather How do you nudge people at the right time, at the right moment to do the right thing? And so this harmony between what are the gaps of the skills we're trying to develop to deliver these results? What are the gaps? Then how are we delivering on those gaps? And then what's the work experience that will continue to support those? And using so many different, very cool technologies that are emerging to really help that learner. We're all individual and... That uh, more unique approach, I think, is going to deliver just continually more and more exceptional people.
0: Well, we are very bullish on where technology is taking us from an L&D perspective. I mean, you know, having in the not-too-distant future, like, an eternally patient and understanding AI co-pilot that yeah. can assist. Yeah, I know I need little. all the help I can get. <laughs> uh, so I'm I'm looking forward to that uh, helping us be better. Uh, you know, augmented just to ac- accomplish the the growing demands that are placed on on all of us.
1: Well, you can you can you consider that even writing. So using a tool like Grammarly or Writer or Copy AI using these writer assists just that one thing in every job makes it so that you're not having to basically reteach language skills because we've got these support tools and then you can actually concentrate on more innovative creativity that you're bringing which is pretty neat
0: so two remaining questions and these are pretty quick i think they might be quick um who are you reading? Who are you following? Uh, is there something that is really top of mind for you right now? Like, where are you drawing your inspiration?
1: It's a it's a great question and one that I I'm constantly uh, looking at a lot of different pieces of. Inst- I have like six books stacked up on my <laughs> desk. Uh, but think think faster, talk smarter yeah. is a book that I'm currently. Uh, reading, and there's an interesting podcast that goes with that around just how to speak more successfully. I think that communication is the competency that is also, when you look at change and bombardment of that, that's extremely interesting. I think that Noise is another book that's just really been thought-provoking given how much information is coming at us. Mel Robbins and Brene Brown, are soul food. So a variety of different elements. And then online, uh, just a student of many different thought leadership that is occurring around learning right now, as well as um, AI and looking at that fusion. So those are some, some things that I'm doing in ways that I'm trying to keep the ax sharp, but it is. I love, you know, when you love what you do, I love this industry. I love people, I love experiences and it makes it uh I there's not enough time in the day to read and listen to everything I would want to.
0: <laughs> yeah. I know I find myself clicking wish list, wish list, wish list, you know, or adding to my just, reading yes. queue and i'm like when when will i have the time to actually get through all of it there's just so much uh, great information coming out and those are some excellent um, sources of inspiration last question i would think that t-tech is always looking for really good talent as i mentioned earlier laura uh, we will be sharing this episode with our students and our graduates where should they go to learn more about T-Tech and maybe some uh, opportunities, some career opportunities that you have?
1: I would go to our website at ttech.com. And then we also have um, we have a tab there with employee experience, and it has all of our uh, happy employees, make happy customers, our job listings, our values, etc. And I would also uh, suggest to go to T-Tech Digital which is our digital uh, division and it has all of our t tech digital jobs for professional services and all of the uh, all of the wells that support t tech digital. So t and t absolutely come visit.
0: t and t Excellent, excellent. Well Laura, I can't thank you enough for sharing your time and your perspective with us today. Thank you so much
1: this my absolute pleasure thank you